you know, we ride this big roller coaster all the time and it feels like everything is like really great or really awful. When the reality is if we just focus on being consistent and keeping our mindset positive, you're going to move, you're going to move forward. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am delighted to be joined today by Kathy Stewart. Kathy is the Vice President of the Senior Living Division with Jeff Harrison Associates. She spent nearly 15 years producing top talent for senior living organizations nationally. Since Kathy began her recruiting career in 2008, she has been the lead recruiter and top biller in the office for that entire time. In fact, that whole uh, time has been with the same firm. She became a Pinnacle Society member in 2018. And that is how I was introduced to Kathy through our mutual friend, um, Jordan Rayboy. Kathy, welcome. Thank you so much for Thanks. being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So how do you know your our esteemed uh, colleague, Jordan? So Jordan and I became acquainted. I mean, everybody knows Jordan, right? All of his sure. videos are out there. And, yeah. and training-wise, we'd always see him. My colleague who owns our firm, Jeff Harris, he would uh, pull up videos with Jordan. And in fact, he was involved in a, 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 a group with him that working with a, another trainer. And uh, he, Jeff introduced uh, himself to Jordan and was talking about how he was wanting to build his company. And I uh, was his first successful hire that he had had. So he was telling the group and telling Jordan about this, this woman, Kathy, that he had hired. And his son was telling him how to uh, Jeff's son was telling him how to grow the company. He said, Dad, you just need to hire more Kathy's. And Jordan thought that was really funny. And so then, it, you know, fast forward, uh, probably about a year later, we we're at a NAPS conference and Jeff is there with me and, and we're in one of Jordan's sessions. And Jordan says, you know, he, he comes up to me after the, we go up to Jordan after the session and, and he introduces me as Kathy. He's like, Kathy, the Kathy. All right. So we've been friends kind of ever since. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm talking to the Kathy, not the just Kathy. Kathy, the Kathy. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. So can you tell me a bit about like, you've been in recruiting for 15 years. Um, how did you get into it? So I, this is actually my third career. I feel like uh, I started out, I have a master's degree in music education. I started teaching in the public schools then um, left that when I became a mom and decided to be a stay-at-home mom for a bit. Um, started a direct home selling business and had no idea. I mean, I just always felt like I could sell, but um, ended up being very successful. Both built a multi-million dollar business, recruited people that didn't realize I was recruiting. They called it um, what did they sponsoring, right? Right. And so uh, I built this multi-million dollar lineage and then decided, you know. I needed to do something else once my daughter got into kind of that middle school and needed me home more at night. And uh, I read this silly ad uh, online. I just happened to be looking at, you know, sales and marketing things in the area. And I saw this ad that said, if you can sell, you'll always have a job. And I thought, well, that was ridiculous. I can sell anything. Um, so I Googled up the company. It was three minutes from my house. And I called the guy and this guy answers the phone hello, this is Jeff. And I said, Jeff Harris, the Jeff Harris, kind of like the Kathy. <laughs> he 
he said, yeah, but it's just me. And I started cackling and I went over there and that was it. And I've been recruiting ever since. So it's been a perfect fit for me. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I feel like as a teacher, really that's about sales where if I can sell music to middle school students, I can sell anything. Um, if I can sell candles in somebody's living room and make a huge income, I can sell anything. But what that, those two things taught me was really the importance of, of being able to listen. And with regard to the direct home selling piece, the, the importance of lots of phone calls to be able to build and do whatever you need to do. So there's this metrics that you have to follow and it really works. And all of that transitioned into being successful as a recruiter. So I always tell people, if you're looking to hire people, find people that were really successful in direct home sales because they know how to recruit. They know how to make phone calls all the time. They don't mind being on the phone. Oh, that is so awesome. Um, I don't think we've ever had a music teacher on the show before. That's cool. (laughs) I sing opera. Do you really? Yes. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Um, I, I do know a guy who was a trainer, not in the recruiting industry, he was a leadership trainer, and his hobby was opera singing. But uh, Yeah, it's my I, hobby. I, I don't really sing much anymore, but love to sing nonetheless, always for fun. That is so cool. And so then you went into direct home selling again, which is, I I mean, totally get how that's transferable to recruiting. And that's not a background that I see many firm owners exploring in terms of a uh, talent pool. And I don't know why that's now that you've explained it, it makes total sense. Yeah. And I don't Um, mean just because there's a huge turnover rate in direct home selling in general. But if you're looking at the people who are those higher level vice president, you know, RVPs, whatever, um, higher level people who have built um, successful lineages, those people know how to recruit. That's what they're doing. Yes. All right. No, that's interesting. So um, could you say a little bit about then how you went about building the senior living, uh, your, your success in that particular niche? Yep. Our firm specializes in senior living. So these okay. are communities that um, that seniors retire to. They're typically higher end communities. They have independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing, all on the same campus. There's a lot of senior living out there. There's a lot of care when it comes to seniors, but there's this little teeny tiny niche um, that we are in, which is these high end retirement communities. And um, I mean, I kind of started there. I started in 2008, right as everything was hitting the fan. Um, right, that was which was not the best timing. But I didn't know any different. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. I came in and and it was like, oh well, instead of seven to one, it was ten to one from you know debrief to placement ratio. Or I mean, we've even had it down to five to one back in 2016, 2017. But um, so I came in, we made this tact when, when everything hit the fan to l- do less on that regional and corporate level role, because that's where all of the positions were being cut and really focus on those strategic positions that are in the communities that require licensure that you got to have. So, mm. I mean, I think, you know, people are talking about now there's always, you've got a recession on the way, or some people are already in recession and, and, 
in healthcare, it's it's a little different because you always there's always a need for healthcare, and there's sure. we've got baby boomers that are retiring, and so this tends to be a growing field. We've grown our office now to, um, I think there are probably nine of us total recruiting in the um, in the office, but we're all in that little one specialty niche. Wow, that's amazing! So you've got yeah. nine people just working in that one. Uh, one niche. That's brilliant. And so looking back over the last 15 years, what are you most proud of having accomplished? So for me, I think um, just, I mean, I think I I told you this. I don't, I don't see myself as like this super special, awesome person. Um, I just think that I'm really good at the basics. Um, I, I think that mindset is probably the the key things that maybe sets me apart from a lot of recruiters. Uh, I I have this winning mindset. I think that I'm winning all the time. I feel like uh, everything is going well, even when it's not. And if it doesn't go well, then what's the lesson here? And it doesn't mean that you kind of throw on your rose colored glasses and ignore things. It just means that you have to be willing to, accept responsibility and say, okay, what can I learn from this and how can I grow? Um, and I think that that is, we, we tend to, you know, we ride this big roller coaster all the time and it feels like everything is like really great or really awful. When the reality is if we just focus on being consistent and um, keeping our mindset positive, you're going to move, you're going to move forward. And I mean, I feel like that that's kind of what has kept me, in the game as long as I have and kept me successful as long as I have been. And I'm not this gigantic million dollar biller, although, you know, I built my team um, consistently is pulling uh, 850 to a million plus in billing, total billing. Um, For me, I'm, you know, anywhere four or five, 600,000, depending on the year. And I try not to even really think about it because if you get focused on that money end of things, it, it just, it, then you, then you start riding the roller coaster. Right. And I, that's where, if you just focus on every single day, what you need to get done every single day and know what your metrics are, everything works out. So you're focusing on the process rather than the outcome. Yeah. Uh, I get that. And wow, you said a lot there. So let me just break it down a little bit. 100% agree. Mindset is everything. Um, And, you know, you absolutely have to stay positive. And otherwise, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have longevity in this business, right? You would, uh, I think a lot of people who come into the industry and then leave again, um, good people, like maybe even good salespeople and, you know, who've been successful in other industries potentially, but, um, just the constant highs and lows, setbacks, disappointments, people saying one thing and doing another or taking a different direction than you were hoping or expecting. And, um, I think you definitely need to be, you know, as you say, consistent and 
stay positive no matter what is happening. Otherwise, you would just well. You have to think up. about recruiting as like a like a, a doctor. So it, people say doctors are practicing medicine, right? So it doesn't mean they're practicing just to get better. But I mean, that kind of is they're practicing to get better. Nobody's ever, you never stay where you are. You never learn at all. And so I feel like that this as a profession is one of those types of practices where you're never perfect. Um, I fail all the time. I mean, I do dumb things with candidates and clients all the time, but um, I always take the opportunity to learn from that. And, uh, and use this as an opportunity to grow as a person, um, to hone my skill. You have to realize that in recruiting, you're, you're going to super suck for six months to a year. I mean, six months, you're really super sucking. The first, the second six months, okay, you're starting to get your feet, but you're not really good at this until you're, I mean, two years down the road before you feel kind of competent in what you're doing. It was two years before I said, okay. I got this. And you just have to trust in that process. The, it, it was five years before I felt like, whoo, yeah, I'm great, you know? And it took five years before I got to that place where I was able to feel like I could impart what my skill set was to help build other people. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what has made me successful is just kind of sticking with it. Just, I'm so glad you said that, Kathy, because um, what you're talking about five years, like if you think of any other profession, there's some kind of apprenticeship or training process, like whether it's medicine or law or, you know, uh, anything that is requires a, a, a either technical skill or a, a level of sophistication, experience, knowledge to perform it successfully. It you don't, it just doesn't happen overnight. You have to, um, you have to work at it for a number of years. And, and so I love how you broke it down into the first six months, second six months, and then five years before you really hit your stride. Um, but I, I want to go back to this idea of mindset because, and you've given a hint in terms of looking for what can I learn, but could you elaborate on how you stay positive and how you maintain that mindset? Because <laughs> I think everyone would agree, yes, we need to be positive, but how? Like, what's your recipe or your process for being able to create that within yourself? So, I, I've, first of all, I think that some of it is just kind of an innate positiveness that I have in life. But how do you create that positiveness? I mean, I think a lot of it is about being passionate about the little the niche that you're in. I mean, from a, that, I feel like is something that I, I love seniors. I mean, I, my grandparents were the greatest people on this planet and I have never had that ability to be a nurse. I don't, I can't do body fluids, but if I could have, I would have. And, but I love seniors so much that I want to be able to help find people that, that take care of them. So that's, you know, that's kind of an underlying thing. It's just being passionate. Um, I think that the the being able to stay positive is really about gratitude. Um, you can't feel anxiety and negativeness when you feel gratitude. It, so if ever I'm feeling that, you know, oh, 
you know, something terrible happens, whatever, you lose a deal, something falls apart, something, you know, you have a fall off, somebody takes a counteroffer. You, you got to allow yourself to kind of feel that disappointment, but then, okay, what, what could I, what, what can I learn? What could I do better? Um, but then be grateful for what it is that you learned and be grateful that for your client, this wasn't the right person clearly. And it's okay. You can make mistakes. Just get back up on that horse and do it again. So I think gratitude is one of the things. It, I am always just one of those big persons that that just says, hey, these are the three things that I'm grateful for every single day. Um, as far as, you know, I, this is actually outside of, of recruiting, but in relationships and, and recruiting is all about relationships. Um, my husband and I, years ago, before we even got married, um, we, every night would, we sit down at the end of the evening and we say, can I tell you three things that I appreciate about you? And, and just feeling that gratitude, have knowing that you're expressing gratitude and feeling gratitude from someone else that really helps build that feeling of positiveness and, um, feeling good about who you are. Um, I, I think positivity is, is, uh, you know, being optimistic and thinking forward thinking. Uh, I I think it's helpful to remind yourself of all the things that you want to do and the things that you've accomplished in life that make you successful. I have little um, index cards uh, all over my, in front of me here that uh, have little positive sayings. I'm going to win. Remember who you are you know, you're in pinnacle, you've billed over a million dollars in team billing. Um, every action is a vote for who you want to become. I mean, all of the, you are worth money. These are all things that sit in front of me all the time. So I think when you put that and that's what you're always seeing, um, I have million dollar bills on my wall over here. Like just, you just, it, just little mind tricks that kind of help me remember that, I just, just to be myself because I'm great who I am. Love it. I love that, Kathy. So let me try and recap because you shared so many different ideas and strategies um, in order to build that positive and resilient mindset. The fundamental one, which I think is the starting point, you said passion and that you love seniors. And so really, to me, that's about your purpose and your why. If you have a strong enough purpose and you believe in the value and the importance of what you're doing, that is- Carries you you through. You can do anything, right? Right. So I think that is, as your foundation is awesome. Um, Building on that, um, I don't know if you've read Grit by Angela Duckworth. Yes, I love Grit. So, yeah. So she says grit, which is kind of the common quality of successful people in every field, is a combination of passion plus perseverance. So it's feeling passionate about your topic or your, you know, in whatever you're pursuing and sticking with that over the long term and kind of really not deviating from that. And that's what you're describing with like the six months, 12 months, five years, and now 15 years you've been in the same niche um, with the same firm. I mean, that is the definition of perseverance. So you've combined, you've got the grit layered on top of the purpose and the kind of belief in, in the, in why you're doing what you're doing. And then to, 
get you through the kind of highs and lows, what it sounds like you're doing is asking really good questions. And I love the example you gave of your uh, with your relationship with your husband of uh, saying like what you appreciate about someone and you mentioned about gratitude. Um, this is something I learned from Tony Robbins like when I was, I don't know, 16 or something. And I still every day use these power questions uh, to put yourself in the right frame of mind and in a, in a state of peak performance. So, you know, when you have a challenge or a setback, you know, after you, of course, it's okay to feel bad yeah, temporarily, absolutely. right? Because that's normal. You got to feel it. Uh, but um, when you're ready like to Like when you're going through that, hell, walk, go through hell. Don't stay in there, right? Just keep right, walking. Right, exactly. <laughs> go through it and get to the other side. Yeah. And um, so questions like, you know, okay, what can I learn from this? That's a good one that you mentioned already. Exactly. Um, how could I use this or what's actually good about this? Maybe, well, you know, if it's a, a counteroffer, I'm glad I know now instead of after they've started with my client and then they end up leaving in the first, you know, two months or something. Um, or how could this benefit me? Or how can I grow from this? Or, um, you know, what do I have to feel grateful for right now if I wanted to feel that? So you're using those questions to just instantly reframe the situation, get yourself in a different emotional state. Um, and you mentioned challenge a couple of times. Um, I There's a fantastic speaker, and now I can't think of his name, but he was a trainer for Tony Robbins, and I've seen him speak um, a few times. Um, his last name is McCar Tom McCarthy. Okay, mm -hmm. Tom McCarthy. Do you know Tom McCarthy? I don't know him. No. Okay, so he's based in California, but he, I've seen him speak over here in London. And he's got a great mantra that I like, which is every challenge is an opportunity for me to improve my mental toughness. So if nothing else, even if there's really nothing I can learn and there's really no benefit, like you've gone through those good questions, like what's good about this? How could I benefit from this? What can I learn from this? And the answer is still nothing. Well, at least I have an opportunity to improve my mental toughness. And yeah. so therefore that's something positive that's that's coming out of this. Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. Kathy, I just went on a long. No, no, there. that's exactly but, uh, that's exactly the case. And and I think that you know even on a basic phone call for a new recruiter coming in, it's you know what's good about the call, what's not good about the call. But we always have to look at what's good about the call first because there's mm -hmm. something that you can that you've done good, and you want to kind of build on each positive. It's like when you're talking to someone that you want to get a yes as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So you want to get that affirmation, something that is good out of everything. And then, okay, well, what went, what could I have done better? Those are all, those are all positives. So, yeah. Awesome. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. 
Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from my intro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. We've, we've touched on mindset and you, in a previous conversation, you mentioned to me that your superpower, you've got a superpower when yeah. it comes to influence. Could you say more about yes. that? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, so I, I love to say everyone has superpowers. They just don't even know it. Um, and for me, um, I'm a, a disc profiler. So I do a lot with understanding personality uh, profiles based on this disc uh, profile, D being dominant, I being influencers, S being supportive, and C being cautious. And so when you look at the circle of everybody, you've got uh, Ds, uh, you've got, a, if you put everybody on a circle, the top half of the circle are fast paced people, the bottom half of the circle are uh, slower paced. One is not better than the other, it just is what it is. Um, and then on the right side of the circle, you have people oriented, you have task oriented on the left side. So, so um, D temperaments, direct doers, movers, shakers, decisive, dominant people. Those are fast paced, task oriented people. Um, and I'll just quickly, I want to tell you what these are because there's a yeah, please. The reason why um, it, it's important to understand who each of these are and what, what, they are so that you know that communicating with each one of these is very different. So you've got those fast paced, task oriented people, direct doer dominant people. You've got fast paced, people oriented people, influencers, fun loving, inspiring people. Um, you've got slower paced people that are the, your sweet, supportive team players, peacekeepers. And then you've got task oriented, slower paced people who are cautious, a little bit more calculating, detail oriented, very systems um, uh, oriented. They also tend to be very correct. <laughs> um, and so each one of these requires a different communication style. Um, and so as someone who studied this, first of all, I know that I'm an IDDI temperament person. So I'm fast paced. I'm an influencer. I connect well with people. Um, I'm a getter done. Kathy, I would have never guessed. No, I know. Right. <laughs> I'm a getter done kind of person. And, um, and if I just approached the world from that point of view, then I would be alienating these people that are uh, maybe a little bit more slower paced. Um, if I'm primarily an I temperament influencer, inspiring, fun loving person, and I'm all about fun and people, I'm really um, not paying attention well to the people that are more task oriented. So I have to, as a superpower, I have to be able to kind of know who I am, but know what these other people need in order for me to communicate more effectively with them. So when I talk to somebody and you can, you can tell oftentimes by the pace that they're talking um, in the conversation, if they are um, quick, com quick, um, decisive kinds of comments, they're not really asking uh, good questions. They're just answering short answers. You're probably dealing with a task oriented piece person. 
Um, if they're asking lots and lots of detailed questions, you're probably dealing with a C temperament person. If they're, if they're that easy, fun person to talk to and you could talk all day. And if you feel, gosh, if you lived in Greensboro, North Carolina, we'd go have a glass of wine or something. That might be another eye temperament that you're talking to or somebody who just really loves where they, the people that they work with and they're all about, you know, their team. That's more of an S temperament. So, if I'm dealing with that, I want to make sure that I am providing the right answers to them. I want to make sure that I'm talking to a D temperament as um, somebody who is providing what they need. They're motivated by um, uh, by winning. So I want to make sure that I'm at, I'm giving them information that talks about how they can win in this job. Um, if I am talking to an I temperament, it is all about how you can influence and help an organization build and grow. And you're going to be that leader. I temperaments love to lead. Um, if I'm talking to somebody that's a more sweet, supportive person, um, you're you know, an integral. You would be an integral part of the team with this person. Um, uh, you're going to be building a, a, a team of people that are going to be in lockstep with one another. Um, you also, and then with C people, we have to be able to provide lots of detail for those people. You can also tell who someone is based on their resume. When you get one of those resumes that are lots and lots of like a hundred bullet points, that's somebody who tends to be more <laughs> C temperament. Um, if in the bullet points, they're talking about, their big wins, their big, big accomplishments, those tend to be more dominant people. Um, influencers might just have those, uh, a few flashy things up and they're also have all kinds of pictures and things on their face, <laughs> the extra little things that make their resumes look fun and colorful. Those tend to be more, um, I temperament people and, and, uh, S temperaments just tend to be very detailed about, um, it, not tons of detail, but good enough detail that shows that they're a team player. So I think really providing insight, um, if you can figure out who you're talking to, you can figure out what their needs are, which helps influence them into conversation with you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so I'm curious, Kathy, is this something which you're consciously thinking about when you're working with people or is it so kind of ingrained that you do it instinctively? I would say it's, it's probably ingrained at this point. I started working with disc personality stuff when I was in direct time sales, because we were, mm -hmm. we were learning about this and how uh, people you sell to people differently based on what their mm -hmm. personality is. So, Makes sense. Um, so from a recruiting standpoint, that's what we're doing. We're inviting people into conversation, but it has to be conversation that meets them. So pacing, um, mirroring back what they're saying, um, creating a similar pacing, listen, listening to the kinds of questions that they're asking will help you determine what their personality profile, what their primary personality profile is. And you'll just need to make sure that you're tailoring what you're saying and providing to them to encourage them along the process, um, even into the interviewing process. If I, if I know that um, I've, I've got someone who's, who's really more about process, I want to make sure that I tell my client, 
you know, this person is going to be really, if you want, if you're interested in this person, we need to really talk about processes and um, how, what things are in place to help make them successful. Everybody wants to be successful, but it's in their own way, right? So am I following the rules? Are rules set out for me? Um, Do I have the ability to change the rules? Um, Is this a, is this a supportive team? Um, Is who is going to be there? Um, how can we work? How can we, how, how are we having fun? How are we interacting as a team? Um, how people interact is really important in an interview for, um, for people oriented people, and they need to feel that warmth and connection. So if you're dealing with a hiring manager that, you know, is not particularly warm and fuzzy, but you've got somebody coming in that is warm and fuzzy, then I need to be able to prepped that prep that hiring manager to say, Hey, this is somebody who's really people oriented. Um, I know we love their background. I know we've already had some initial conversations with them, but in order to build that relationship, in order to build that trust with them so that they're ex- as excited about this opportunity, you've got to build that relationship. Um, so it's just helpful kind of being able to clue our clients into what they need to do also in that interview process to help make their, um, uh, their time successful with people as well. I always like, I like to think about it like this. So people that are task oriented in order to help them say, yes, you have to build the trust with them in order to build the relationship. And how do you build trust? You do what you say you're going to do. You Mm -hmm. show process. Um, you show that there's a path for success. On the people-oriented side of things, you have to build relationship in order to build trust. So it has to be about um, connection and culture and the people and those things and how people feel working there. Um, I had a, a candidate ask me a, say something the other day about they're in an interview and they asked the they asked the question of the, you know, how does it feel working with someone? And when somebody says, how does it feel? You need to go ding, 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 people oriented. Okay. So then I told my client, um, this is, you know, this is a very people oriented person. We want to make sure that they're, that you're making them feel, uh, like you like them, like you're, they're comfortable and that this is going to be a fun time to work with them if they come on board, when they come on board. And that is what happened in the interview, the final interview. And we ended up being able to bring that person on board, but it, it took that person's not always the, they're not always warm and fuzzy. So you need to know you're working with somebody that potentially that requires a little bit of warm and fuzzy. So this is awesome. You're looking at this in a whole nother, there's a whole nother layer dimension, to what you're doing here. Right? I told you it's um, a superpower. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. So there's, yeah, there's what people say and do and, but then it's understanding what sort what of person they are them. and what motivates them and then how you can influence. So you gave some clues, like obviously how they've done a resume, how they speak, words they use, but how do you incorporate this into your recruiting process? Do you actually do profiles on all your candidates or is it I more don't, I intuitive? I just, for I, when I, when we're doing retained search work, um, Mm -hmm. we are doing disc profiles on, on our finalist candidates. So I have a little bit more information there, but 
in contingent recruiting, it's really just, you know, talking with them and hearing what they're saying. And if they're saying things about how they feel, they tend to be more people oriented. If they're talking about, if they're asking questions about lots of processes, they tend to be more task oriented. And so just kind of knowing people versus task, it Got helps it. me. Um, even if I'm just looking at the basic side of things, people versus task oriented, um, I, I know that people are motivated by different things and, mm-hmm. um, you know, D, D temperament people are motivated by winning. So I need to be able to show them how to win. I temperament people are, um, uh, are motivated by being liked in their image. Right. So how are they going to look in, mm-hmm. uh, to, in, in, that's really important to an I temperament is in, is their ability to, how are they going to impress and be seen, so to speak? And S temperament people tend to like being wanting to, to be a part of a team and be in a peaceful environment. So if you've got a real rocky kind of environment with a client, you're probably, you know, S temperaments might not be the best person for that. So really kind of knowing what you're looking for, um, you know, as far as a company and what the kind of role is that you're looking for you don't want to put somebody who's a quiet team oriented peacekeeper kind of person in with a really rocky kind of environment because they're not going to be successful. They're not going to be happy. So just knowing that personality, you need to be able to be aware of that when you're recruiting the right kind of candidate for your client. That makes total sense. Did you know that fewer than 1% of recruitment business owners ever achieve an exit? The good news is that it's absolutely achievable if you know how. That know-how and proven track record is exactly what Recruitment Entrepreneur provides. They're the number one investor in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. James Kahn and his team have done this many times before. In fact, they've backed 45 businesses already and they're only just getting started. Based in London, they've now launched in the USA and many other countries around the world. They're looking to partner with ambitious recruiters who want to start, scale, and sell their recruitment business. They provide the funding, mentoring, advice, and support you need to become one of the top 1% who successfully exit their recruitment business. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. Can I segue because you've, yeah. you've touched on a topic I did want to explore with you, which is contingency versus retain. Yep. Sounds like you do a bit of both. What is your business model and 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 why? So we started out completely um, contingent. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, like, con- totally contingent and no money down, nothing up front. Just, you know, hire us. We'll find your people. And 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 um, and then we switched to uh, we we still offer that. But we offered the next the still contingent. But what we call a priority search where you put some money down. And then, and that's just skin in the game for both of us. We, it gives us, gives you more of a guarantee. Uh, we guarantee three, a minimum of three candidates within 15 business days, extends the guarantee of the candidate when you hire to 90 days. 
Um, that's our basic priority. But then, of course, we also do retained search. We started to do that a lot more. In fact, I think I was mentioning to you, I'm, I am really switching to, at this point, I'm kind of done with the <laughs> contingent. Yeah, no kidding. I'm, I don't blame you. I, I mean, because you win, <laughs> you'd lose. I mean, that it really is more of a roller coaster. In, mm-hmm. And in down times, people, it's easier to do that contingent search. You can always find people who will do that because you're ability to be successful. I have, I've been successful. So people are going to hire me to work with them because I've been successful in that contingent model. But with a retained search, we're doing a lot more. We're the person that is the, the, we are vetting everybody from start to finish, um, including people that come through the, the client and giving everybody that same uh, platform to be vetted through and then providing finalist candidates, it's a lot more on our end of things, mm-hmm. but it's guaranteed money. I mean, the contract is a third up front, a third when we deliver your finalist candidates, and a third at the end. Um, yeah, and I'm just tired of you know doing a lot of work and having my my recruiters that work with me uh, doing lots of work and uh, not winning 100%. So, I mean, just sliding into that retain model uh, is the direction awesome. that I want to go. So that's what I'm doing. Fantastic, Kathy. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I figured out probably about three years into my recruiting career that I was not going to be as successful as I wanted to be in a contingency environment because I was too slow. Like in recruiting, I mean, speed does make a difference, but yep. I, I got so frustrated when I would do everything properly and follow the process, talk, you know, reach out to the candidate, it, vet them thoroughly, tell, you know, sell the opportunity, get them interested, and then, you know, present them to the client. The client would say, oh, Mark, we've already got this uh, CV. I'm like, but he's not talked to anyone else. And the other recruiter just you know, sent the CV first mm-hmm. and to see if the client's interested. And if they are, then they would interview the candidate. I just thought that was totally unfair that, yeah, you know, totally. that they would get paid even though I would. And then the candidate was interested because I was the one who sold the job to them. Correct. Anyway, so I, uh, I was kind of on a quest to figure out, you know, how, but I wasn't fully aware of like the retained model and and how it works, but I just felt really frustrated with the contingency model. And then I luckily had a manager who mentored me because he'd come from a firm where they did do a lot of retained search. And um, that was like a light bulb moment for for me. And I just, um, I absorbed everything he could give me like a sponge. And at first I was really bad at it and I wasn't that successful at persuading clients to give me money up front. But um, like you, I'm pretty persistent and uh, have that perseverance. And I just really believed in it. I knew that's the the direction I wanted to go. And then eventually I figured it out. Well, um, and I think, you know, the happy medium is that retainer, people call it, you know, we call it a priority search because to me, if they put money down, you know, $5,000 down, then there's a little bit of skin in the game. Getting and getting some exclusivity is very helpful um, I mean, I've had clients that, you know, I've done contingent search with and they've kind of screwed me two or three times and I'm like, never again. So we yeah. switched it into a priority search with them. And then I had this happen just recently where they um, 
you know, I still did a priority search with them. They still ended up hiring on their own. When you, it's like, if you get a wait, if there, here's the the secret, time kills all deals. So if yes. there's a wait, that's it. Like, that's it. If you're getting any kind of wait anywhere in the process, forget about it. You're not going to win. Right. So, um, so anyway, I ended up getting weight and he ended up hiring somebody else. I'm like, damn it, I'm not doing this again. And he reached out to me again and uh, said, can you help? And I said, it's retained. I'm sorry. A third up front, a third when I deliver and a third at the end. That's it. And all candidates go through me. And like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Yes. I love it. Um, and do you they know the know. difference? I mean, they yeah, know. exactly. They know. Like you, you had decided this is the only way I'm going to work here. I'm not going to work with you. If you're, you know, and, it doesn't make uh, sense yes. to me. Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. I mean, there are clients that are really great, and you can work with them on that kind of retainer model where you get a little bit up front and then the rest at the end if they hire. But they're still they're still able to hire on their own. And and I find that you know probably they'll hire at least one out of three, sometimes two out of three times. Um, and it's not because I'm not doing a great job or getting them candidates. It's just that it's from a financial perspective, they would rather hire someone who is less, maybe even a less qualified for the job, but not have to pay twenty five, thirty thousand dollars on a fee. So I right. get it. But yeah, but if you're going to hire a recruiter, then let them do the job. You know, it's it's really frustrating. Uh, I find contingent search the, the older I am, and now I'm old in contingent search. Um, <laughs> trust me, yep. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't believe it. Um, I, I mean, really, no. I'm. I. I am. You know, and I. I think that uh, just kind of recognizing where it is yeah. that you want to go and having that vision as a recruiter. I. You know, I think I've matured into. You know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of the you know, not getting paid when we work really hard and I want to be able to provide value, but there has to be some level of respect on the other end of it too. And, um, so that just means I, you know, I may need different clients, which that's what retained searches. It's not necessarily, although sometimes you do have your old clients that will say, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll work retained with you. It's really about going out and getting new clients, which is that's scary for a lot of recruiters. And that's mm. I mean, I think that that's also for me, that's been one of my uh, one of the things that's made me successful is is my ability to go out and market, and not be afraid to talk to new clients. And I think I mentioned I had one year, it was probably 2017 and a great year. Um, but I had two clients that were the bulk of my billing, like $750,000 in billing between two different clients. And it evaporated at the end of the year, like somebody left and then they made a policy change. Another company made a policy change, totally changed courses. And, and I'm like, holy crap, I literally like two thirds of what my income would have been evaporated. And I had to go out and rebuild, just develop completely new clients um, and it's just a matter of going out and again, using that tenacity and not giving up and, um, showing your worth and what you've done and, and, um, making those relationships build. Kathy, what year was this? I think it was 2017. That was 17, that, or okay. 17 or going into 18 might've been 2017. So, yeah. It, it's so funny because 
not that that experience was funny at, at all. I didn't mean it that way. I meant it's such a common um, thing that we see. In fact, I just uh, published an episode with my colleague Leanne where we talk about how we see so many recruiters have all their eggs with a couple of clients and, you know, are relying on that repeat business and, and you know, some referrals and aren't focusing on marketing and, and business development. And that, um, you know, it's, it's just a huge vulnerability because all it, t- you know, if you have most of your billings with one or two clients, then, and they leave through no fault of yours, then that just leaves a huge gaping hole in your Absolutely. Uh, projections of what you were planning on producing that next uh, year. So what did you, what did you do to turn that around? So interestingly, um, I, I, I went to, a, this was another NAPS conference that I went to and, and Tom Herb had a presentation where oh, yeah. he did um, like um, 12 touches in 10 weeks. And I kind of took that and, and, um, and modified it a little bit for me, but it was a combination of old school snail mail and phone calls and emails. And it was just a process that, um, I literally mailed people things about me and, and followed up on, I want to introduce myself and talk a little bit about our firm and what we do and how I can, how we could provide, uh, some benefit for your organization. And, and if you, you start with a, even just 50 people, I mean, that was, to me, that's what I did. I started with 50 people, 50 contacts, 50 organizations that I wanted to build business with. And then I mailed, found out who the hiring manager was, the CEO, executive director, whoever, um, mailed them something in the mail, which nobody does, and in handwritten, you know, so that it, they opened it. It wasn't a label, right? Um, and it looked more personalized. And uh, personal letters inside, personal notes inside, emailed, called, and within the by the time I got to step four, I had more business than I could shake a stick at. Then, wow, so I awesome. never ever. I, I mean, I credit Tom Urban helping me. You know, uh, this process was a really great process. But by really by the time, if you're good at it and you have some semblance of of decency about you as a, a person on the phone, um, yes. then you will have more business than you can shake a stick at. So yeah, Love you it. should call Tom so, and have him on and talk about that 12 touches in 10 weeks. Cause it really well, is a great little process. It's a good, it's a great book. I've got it on my shelf here actually, cause it was recommended to me by one of, uh, one of our clients. And, uh, yeah, I, I, hundred percent endorse this approach. Um, I first learned about it, uh, like Tom, Tom Herb has taken, has applied this to the recruiting and staffing industry. Um, but going back probably 20 years, I got training from another sales trainer called Chad Holmes, who's now, mm-hmm. uh, passed unfortunately, but, um, his book is still available. It's called the ultimate sales and marketing machine. And by Chet Holmes, check it out because he's, you start out with your list of your dream 100 customers. So you said 50, right? But it's however you identify. And by the way, you being a niche specialist is the starting point. You didn't, like, we'd already talked about that, but you're a niche specialist. And when within your market, you identify who are the 20, 50, 100 like organizations that would, 
be the best potential partners for us uh, that we would love to win as um, as clients, and then build a multi step sales process, sales and marketing right. campaign uh, of outreach, which is going to combine multiple different channels. So snail mail, email, phone calls, videos, um, invitations to events, you know, uh, whatever it takes, right? To But you've got multiple steps. Yep. Uh, and so in Tom Herb's case, he, he uses 12 steps as an example. Um, and uh, it's just so effective. Yeah. Well, that- it takes, I mean, I think it, somebody says it takes seven mm-hmm. times for somebody to remember right. your name. So if you're leaving one message, even two messages, you're, you, they're still not going to remember you. You really have to have multiple ways. And that, that, I mean, as a teacher, so this goes back to my teaching stuff, learning modalities and, and how people take in information. That's a whole nother yes. superpower um, <laughs> it is, uh, is knowing whether they're visual, auditory or kinesthetic. And so you have to make sure that in your process, you're hitting all of those um all of those areas, they need to see something visual. They need to hear your voice. They need to um, feel something in their hands. And that way you're hitting um, everybody's intake of information. So that's a whole nother teacher thing. Genius. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. Because we, when you were talking about disc earlier, I was thinking about, a, you know, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic yeah. and those different modalities of processing information in the world. And, and, uh, so yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the parallel there with the, yeah, when you're marketing, you have to be able Mm. to hit all of those things too. So, um, because you don't know how people take in information best. And, um, once again, once you discover that it's kind of like, how do you communicate best with a client? How do they, you know, you ask, do you want, is it better for me to email you? Is it better for me to text you? Is it, are you better with, calls. I mean, it's just kind of asking those questions so that, you know, you're, you're communicating the way that they're asking to be the way that they need to be communicated best with. Totally. Absolutely. And so from that point, Kathy, where you lost those two big accounts to, you know, building things back up, how can you just talk me through, I mean, you told me your action plan, you went to an apps conference, you you um, bought into the Tom Herb 12 steps process, you executed that. And you said like, before you knew it, you had tons of business again, but could you just elaborate on that? Well, I ended up building nine new clients out of those 50 um, that I targeted. And, and I will say, you know, and a lot of people are like this, 95% of what we do in this firm is repeat business because we have a reputation. People trust us. We get the job done. Um, and, but I had to build, I had to build new clients and, but I wasn't building a new database. I'm not building a new, um, you know, we're still looking for executive directors and directors of nursing and administrators and directors of sales and marketing. So our network was the same. It's just a matter of let me help you and, Mm. and, uh, let me help your organization. I can, I've done it with these organizations, love to help build with your organization. Um, and so it's just a matter of doing the job and there are certain jobs that you can fill faster than others. Um, and so I tend to focus on those. If I'm in a place where I really need quick, um, wins, 
uh, oh, I'm going to do a director of nursing search all day long because as soon as I, I can hi- get a director of nursing hired in in a matter of days because they're wow. so sought after, uh, yes. particularly now, right? In in uh, dealing with a pandemic, um, yes. this is a it, it's a niche that's it's difficult. Um, but because I'm really good at it and know this market and how to how to recruit those kinds of candidates, then I'm who you want to work with. Love it. Thank you for sharing your pitch as well, yeah. because that uh, makes total sense. Like you've got a track record, you've helped, you know, all these other clients to accomplish those goals. And why wouldn't they want to benefit from that network and that experience that you've already built up. And I would say too, if you're a new recruiter and you're working with a firm, you know, just because you don't have experience doesn't mean that you can't sell yourself as experienced because you're selling the experience of the firm. So our firm does this, we've done this, we, you know, so you don't, you don't, don't feel like just because you're a new recruiter or that, that, you are not going to have the same leverage that I do. You can use the firm and the experience of the firm and the people around you. Um, you know, like I'll have a new a, a new recruiter working with me on something, and they're in their first month or so. And and you know, I recruit with Kathy Stewart. I don't know if you know her. She's been doing this for fifteen years, and so blah, 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 you know, so they're using me. You know, they might use me, or if it's not me, they're using the firm. There's a way to project yourself as having that kind of expertise, even if you don't have it. It's fine. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. You sell the firm's credentials instead of your own personal experience. Um, Beautiful. So listen, is there anything that you had wanted to talk about today that we haven't covered? Um, I, you know, I think that um, I I wanted to make sure that we touched on um, kind of creating your own dream life. Um, because work-life balance to me is something that's really important. And I know that people really strive to create that work-life balance in their life. Um, and I think just with a, as a recruiter, we tend to kind of be all encompassed in our jobs and work really hard. We have to make calls at night and on the weekends and things like that. But I, I think that when you are I think it's really important to set some guidelines for yourself um, because you've got to recharge yourself. So I, I mean, more than just creating the systems to be successful as a recruiter, I think that you have to create the systems in your life to be able to provide recharge time. Um, I work really hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, Thursday is usually about a half day for me. Uh, maybe two thirds of a day and Friday is either all the way off or half day. Um, wow. That's cool. I, don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, um, and it, and neither would my clients really, because I do keep up with email, things like that, but I'm not on the phone then. Right. And mm-hmm. on the weekend, the weekends are my time. And if I need to make a phone call, I can make a phone call, but in general, I'm not feeling like that. I need to schedule a bunch of things and, uh, I, I just feel like it's really important to make sure that you're looking at your own time as recharge time um, mm-hmm. so that you can be as successful as possible in the time when you're plugged in. I love it. So um, what's your secret, Kathy? Because I think that sounds hugely appealing. And especially it's it 
because what you're saying is you're working basically three and a half to four days a week. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yet you're still creating an incredible lifestyle. You're still producing at a high level. You're still serving your clients, um, effectively. So how have you created those boundaries and that balance? You know, when I first started recruiting, I, um, I told Jeff, um, I said, I, I gotta, I gotta stop at five o'clock. Like, Mm -hmm. I, and I, if I have to make a phone call, I can make a phone call, but I'm done and I need to be able to pay attention to my family at the end of the day. So, I mean, that was kind of going in. That was my stop. Um, it's kind of why I don't do a lot. I, I do West Coast searches, but not all, often because I'm one of those people that likes to go to bed at nine o'clock at night at East Coast time, which means, you know, that's only six o'clock on the West Coast. So I have to kind of you know, it's, I pick and choose where I work because of, of, um, of my bedtime. <laughs> Fair enough. I, sleep no, is important. It I, really uh, is. No. I, I and, agree. And, uh, and so I think that, um, for me, um, I created those boundaries by making sure that my family knows that they're first and foremost and that work knows that it's, it, I'm going to give you a hundred percent while I'm there. And mm -hmm. then, but I have to have my time off, but I also at every year, um, do a, a kind of an assessment of where I am across my life. And, you know, I don't even know who the person is. And it might be a Tony Robbins thing where you have the life wheel where you, Oh yeah. The you, wheel of life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you've got like these eight areas within your life that you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. And, and then you put into, you put into place the things that you want, that you want to keep and do, and you just schedule it in. So Monday is a riding day for me. I ride horses. So Monday afternoon, I'm leaving and I'm going to the barn because that's important. And, and at the barn, there's no phone on a horse. You can't be on a right. horse, right, and have a phone. It doesn't work, right? So that's, you know, I... Imagine I, texting and riding a horse no, might be that's, dangerous. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, sorry. My dog's back there barking. That's all right. Um, my office dog. Um and, uh, and I, you know, Tuesday nights, uh, my husband is, is, uh, is he does something on Tuesday nights. And so I'm free on Tuesday. I can actually work a little bit later on Tuesdays. I could be flexible. Um, Wednesdays, I have a, an hour of dog training. So, I mean, I just make sure that I'm scheduling the things that are important that are going to fall into the things that are outside of work. I, I can be a 10 at work and say, I'm doing all of the great things that I, I can do at work. But if I'm not being a 10 in my relationships, in my leisure time, if I'm not managing my money and not saving or putting money in my 401k, if I'm not balanced in all these other areas, I'm not really going to be a 10 in that. And, and part for me, part of that was, um, I decided it's been almost a year. Um, gosh, it's almost 11 months now. I stopped drinking. Um, awesome. not because I, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm drunk every night and I can't function. No, it was that, um, Danny Cahill did a presentation and I, he, he, his brother who has since passed asked him, are you, have you ever given a hundred percent of your life? And I mean, to something in your life and, and Danny thought about it and he said, you know, I would hope that I do that every day. And his brother said, you know, I don't know if I ever did. And I thought about it. And I thought, gosh, am I giving a hundred percent all the time? Um, and I th thought, you know, I'm not all the time because 
I'm drinking at night, you know, a couple glasses of wine, not gobs, not to the point where I'm, you know, falling down and not able to function, but to the point where, you know, I'll answer that email another time or nah, I think I'm not going to make that call tonight. And I just thought, you know, I'm not giving a hundred percent. And it was a really difficult transition for me to make that decision because my whole family drinks and everybody around me drinks, but I just decided for my better part of me, I'm, I needed to make that happen. So that's what I, so that's what we did. And it's just been really freeing um, and it's given me a lot more energy to do other things outside of work and to be more focused on work when I'm at work than, than that. That is awesome, Kathy. And Jordan spoke to me a little yep. bit about we have an accountability, accountability group. group. Yep. And uh, he was pretty excited about that. So, and by the way, the Wheel of Life exercise is a good one. If you just Google Wheel of Life, you'll yep. find there's a little... Uh, like you can There's fill several out different a, ones. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a picture and it gives you a, an instant visual snapshot of how balanced you are in different dimensions of your, of your life. And so that's so cool that you identified one area that you felt that you weren't playing full out, you weren't being a 10 and you weren't showing up as you wanted to be. And you made that change, even though it was difficult. And, um, yep. so that's awesome, Kathy. I uh, I appreciate you, and I, I'm grateful that you came on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>